And as we have found, so many dyslexics are not just super smart. They have very creative ways to work around their dyslexia, to get other people to help them. And we brought that into this book. We thought this would be a perfect platform to show children with dyslexia that they have superpowers. They just need to look for them. That was the voice of Lynn Greenberg. She and her son, Jonathan, created opportunity out of a negative label. And finding out that Jonathan had dyslexia was one of the very best things they could have ever done. So this may lead parents to ask the question, what does dyslexia look like when it's undiagnosed? And what may those kids be experiencing or feeling when they're at school? Could a dyslexic ever become an avid reader? And how does Robbie the Dyslexic Taxi in the Airport Adventure show kids how to use their superpowers even when they're dyslexic? All of these questions and more will be answered next. Welcome to the show, Jonathan and Lynn Greenberg. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yes, it's such a pleasure to have a team like this. To have a family team is very rare. Lynn, let me just start from the very beginning with you. When did you notice or suspect that Jonathan might actually have dyslexia? Jonathan is my youngest of four. And so we had gone through ABCs and learning to read and all of that. And then when John was very little, he was the child who did not want to watch Sesame Street, sing the ABC song. I just I knew something was up. Very super smart, could tell you any Thomas the Tank Engine, the name of the, the engine, but he couldn't tell you Thomas started with T. And I just, I had a feeling something was up. His teachers were saying, no, you're wrong. He's a boy. He's slow. And I was like, no. I talked to a bunch of people. I found someone to test him when he was pretty young. And we found out he was classic dyslexic, but he was very little. He was two, three when I knew something was up, but I didn't really know much about dyslexia. Yeah, I would think it would be really hard, especially like you said, with a boy, (laughs) because they tend to be, sorry, Jonathan, but they tend to be a little bit more distracted. No no offense taken. I think it would have been more tricky if I hadn't had other children. But if you listen to your gut, you just know something's not right. And I didn't know what it was called then. And I, I had no no one I knew in the family. I came to find out there were others. But we had no real knowledge of anyone with dyslexia. So it's been a it was a journey, especially at the beginning. I can imagine. And Jonathan, did you realize early on that you had a different learning style or was it more like after you started to read that you really started to pick that up? When I was younger and in school with those teachers who said he's a boy and he's slow, (laughs) I had it pounded into me that I was slow. So I didn't think I had a learning difference. I thought I was just dumb. And so that was, it was hard. It was a difficult period of time. And then when mom got me tested and they said, you are classic dyslexic, I finally got to realize, oh, wait, it's not just me being slow or a boy or whatever you want to say. It was, there was a reason for it. And that actually was very 
gratifying to hear. It, it gave me a purpose. Yeah. Probably took a lot of pressure off you. That is without question. <laughs> Very much. So it when you were in school, then did they have opportunities for you to actually receive more like one-on-one type of of learning? Actually, the family was lucky enough that we found a school called the Windward School, which specializes in children with dyslexia. And their system was smaller classes, a different learning technique, a teacher and an assistant in each class. And that was really just a godsend for us. We did that and pretty fast we started seeing results. I don't know if you wear glasses, but when you are somebody who gets used to not being able to see things and you put glasses on for the first time and you can see the leaves and see all of the details, how to be like that for you for reading? And Yeah, honestly, that is a very good uh, example of what it was like. It still took a little bit of time to get into the reading. It's if we're using the analogy, like the glasses were far away and they kept getting closer and that then I could still see out of them, but I started to read first picture books, then some young adults, and I started getting faster at it. And soon enough, I was able to just read just about anything. And I was a voracious reader then because I just had, I guess I was trying to make up for lost time in a sense. I would read whatever I could find. Mm-hmm. You, you seem like you have that prove them wrong kind of attitude too. You're being told that you were dumb early on and you're like, oh, watch this. I'm not dumb. I've got tools now. I don't know. Whatever gave you that thought? <laughs> <laughs> Mom's shaking her head. Lynn, is that true? It is a hundred percent true. We, John is definitely one of these people and I'm so proud of him, but he's tell me I can't. And he will prove everyone wrong. And he went to school. He learned when he went to Winward. To be honest, we tried uh, the public school system here. He's in his early 20s to almost mid. And back then they were really, they did not have a lot going on here in the public school system. And as John said, we were lucky to find this school about a half hour away from us. But he, the minute he started at the school, you could tell he was going to work really hard because he wanted to prove everyone wrong. And he wanted to learn how to read and catch up to his, you know, older siblings. He really learned a lot quickly. It was great. That's amazing. I think that's such a testament to your family, to John, to just the concept that you might be labeled, but you don't have to stay labeled. And that was, that label was probably enough to push you over the top. It, it gave you motivation to overcome that much quicker. I will say that competition did help, but also the support that I got from my family was invaluable. If they, there was every chance they could have gotten that they would have agreed with the teachers that they thought I was just a slow learner, but they believed that it wasn't just me. They There were times that I'd find my mom later, once we discovered I was dyslexic, just reading a book late at night about dyslexia and children with it. And my family made a lot of sacrifices to make me be able to go to Winward. It was a private school. They ate a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. (laughs) It meant the world. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see your mom up late trying to find out information behind your back quietly. So flash forward a few years. Now this story comes together here. We're in today's time and you've got this book. So tell me what was the process from going from not being able to read to creating actual kids book? And either of you can answer this one. Well, I'll I'll briefly say the the book part and then mom can complete the rest. Mom had an idea for a children's book for a while. So credit goes to her in a lot of respect. But the main ignition point was ironically COVID, specifically the lockdown. I was an art student in college then and found myself back at home, which was not ideal especially when an art teacher for a figure drawing class was like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to write an essay, (laughs) which isn't exactly what you signed up for. (laughs) So I decided to put my talents to something that I could actually use. And then mom suggested, why don't we do a book? And the two just intersected perfectly. And I'll let mom complete some of the basic ideas for the how we got to this concept of the book. We we had gone back and forth about it. And during COVID, I was FaceTiming with my grandchildren and I was reading to them. So we said, let's do a children's book. And John's characters are lovely and whimsical. And we said, how would it be? How would we show a dyslexic character? And then we started talking about Thomas, the tank engine, and veered off. And we ended up talking about a cab has to drive and learn directions. How would he do it? And maybe he has friends who have other neurodivergent issues. Why don't we just start with a dyslexic taxi? Because we know the, we know the subject. And then maybe if it's anything, we can start adding other characters and other books. And that's how we started. I really was fascinated with this concept because I think when you think of a taxi, you think of somebody who should know exactly where they're going. And so I was like, that's brilliant because here you've got this job that they have to do and they can't even tell where they need to go. But The premise was that the taxi normally ran through a routine, like an area, and then was asked to go beyond that to the airport then, right? And then how would they figure that out? And as we have found, so many dyslexics are not just super smart. They have very creative ways to work around their dyslexia, to get other people to help them. And we brought that into this book. What would happen if this taxi didn't go on his normal route and couldn't figure out where to go? How would we fix that? And we thought this would be a perfect platform to show children with dyslexia that they have superpowers. They just need to look for them. Oh, please excuse this interruption. When it comes to parenting, many parents struggle with whether or not they have the right answer. And you know, really, that struggle is something we all share in common. And just like Jonathan and Lid did, you could take your struggle and convert it into a kid's book that could help other families. Want to chat about it? Just listen at the end for the opportunity. Now, back to the podcast. 
So can you give me an example of how a dyslexic taxi would have creative ways of finding that help? Sure. So one of the things we did was, I won't get into too much specifics for spoilers, (laughs) but when I was trying to find my way around, especially now in a city, that is one of the things I have to do. I might not look at the street signs as much as I look at the landmarks and just I can memorize a route after going through it once or twice. And so I use that more so than just I look at Google Maps or something. The whole purpose of Robbie, therefore taking a little bit of inspiration from me, is that he uses the landmarks and can memorize the roots. Gotcha. And that is that something you did daily at like in your just normal life then, it sounds like? As mom mentioned, I had in, in a very specific set of memory skills in that, oh, I could remember the names of the Thomas the Tank Engine, and that that was it. If you showed me a photo, great. If you wanted me to spell it, no. Uh, <laughs> in this case, we wanted to try bringing across that to our characters. And another example was... I, for the longest time, could not figure out my lefts from my rights. However, my mom came up with a great solution in that if you hold both hands out in front of you you're and make an L with both, the left hand is going to make an L and the right hand is going to not. So I would use that to figure out the right and left. And once again, that was something we thought creative solutions to everyday problems. Ah, I think that's a great skill to teach kids in general is to, if they can learn both, great. But if not, one or the other is excellent. That's really cool. Okay. Dip back on your mom for a second. Lynn? Hi. (laughs) I have to ask you, and I'm asking you because I'm just really curious. You were an attorney before. And so did that kind of fuel a little bit of that, that desire to help kids Beyond even just your own kids? Uh, When I was working as a lawyer, I did a lot of family work. And a good chunk of what I did was I worked pro bono for children who did not have representation, were in the system. And I felt very strongly that they were an underrepresented group, that people did not take children seriously. Their kids, they don't know. And I think that's terrible because if you listen to children, they're pretty astute, most of them. And so, yes, it definitely fueled, it fuels who I am. And it, being a lawyer is part of my personality, my family will tell you. <laughs> but I retired a long time ago when the kids were little. And then when I started driving John, it just did not work into our family plan. So I retired, but it definitely fuels who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That research component and that caring to create the children's book. And I think it's interesting, Jonathan, I don't know if you want to stay in the children's world forever, but I think it's very inspiring that you have this background and are creating art that is representative of who you are. And I think that's really amazing. Okay. I think Jonathan is going to read for us 
So would you be willing to read us 30 seconds or so of Robbie the Dyslexic Taxi and the Airport Adventure? Sure, I would love to. One second. Every day in the city of Greensboro, a little taxi named Robbie wakes up bright and early for work. He loves being a taxi and can't wait to get down to business. Each morning, he makes sure he is clean as a whistle and that his tank is full before heading off to the creative cab company where he works. On the outside, Robbie looks like your everyday cab. However, there is a part of him that makes him different from other cabs and so much more special. He is dyslexic. He has trouble reading the signs he drives under, but he is the most creative little cab you'll ever meet. Oh, and I always get so sad when my authors stop reading. (laughs) (laughs) Are we having to story time now? Oh, no. (laughs) That's, I love it. I think, I think the way you set it up, it's a story that I want to find out what's coming next. And you guys who are listening can't see this, but Lynn held up the cover and a few of the pages and the art is just so entertaining and fun. I love the whimsical nature of it. So, yeah. Okay. If you're not convinced that you need to read this book, you need to read this book. I'm just telling you, you need to check it out. Um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. When you're thinking about people using your book, you're thinking about taking it into classrooms, taking it to parents, to adults and caregivers. What is the, what is one wish that you have as far as how they use the book or how they spend that time with the kids? I think John and I have it from two points of view. I have it from the adult point of view, and I can speak to that. And John, from the the kid's point of view. And for me, I want parents and educators to understand dyslexia a little bit better. Maybe they see something in their child if they read this, or maybe they know someone and can talk to their children about what dyslexia is. And I, I have to say, the educators work real hard, but a lot of them do not understand dyslexia. And when John was little, his first grade teacher before he switched schools said to me, I don't understand. He can memorize the book. Why can't he read it? And I'm thinking, okay, you're an educator. (laughs) So I think for me, the goal is to try to help the adults see maybe that the child isn't a problem, a slow learner, but maybe there's an issue that they should investigate further. Love that. I love that. How about for you, John? For the children's perspective, I felt a very personal connection to this for obvious reasons. I wanted to show young children both with and sometimes undiagnosed dyslexia that this wasn't something to be disheartened by, that As mom mentioned earlier, it's a bit of a superpower in a lot of ways. I wanted to give kids both that insight and show them that with the right support and effort, they can really accomplish anything their peers can, and in some cases more. I just wanted to give them something to connect to which I would have loved to have had when I was their age. I love that, especially I think having that connection with somebody who 
has overcome and created something that they can enjoy and be encouraged by. That's huge. And I think that's, that's you both. I love the hearts that you're coming at this with. Now, have you been able to go into classrooms and share your book yet? We have. We did a, a book signing at a local bookstore and John actually went back to the school where he went and he was, he'll be humble, but the kids were like clapping and can we have your autograph? It was, they were so proud that one of their own had accomplished this and it was terrific. It was really sweet. I have to say. So. Do you feel like a superstar, John? It was a feeling I had not set out to, this wasn't the reason I'd done this, but it was amazing to feel like I had actually affected some people in such a positive manner. Mm. It's a feeling I don't think I'll ever forget. They were very cute. Everyone was like, this is amazing. Are you going to write more books? What's it going to be about? And so we said, what do you think? And they're like, oh, ADHD and this. And it was, they all had a million ideas. So it was great. It was terrific. And we are starting our second book in the series. That was my next question, actually, was if your audience is giving you ideas and if so, what your next one was. So are you able to share that or is that still top secret? I wouldn't say it's top secret. (laughs) I would say... It is still, we're still working on it. So it's not going to come out tomorrow by any stretch. But I will say our basic idea is that it's going to be a taxi set in this same universe that we're building, but it has ADHD and how it overcomes it. We have found that a lot of dyslexic have things like ADHD. And so it seemed like a nice segue. And the series is going to be called The Creative Cab Company because that's where all the cabs work and all the people work. There are a lot of vehicles. So we decided to, they are creative people in cabs. So that's where they work. I love that. And with the, so many different forms of dyslexia, it seems like you could, uh, Amass quite a, a group of books by the time you're done. Absolutely. That's our hope. <laughs> yeah. Your character is cute too. Like in the the sense of like when I first saw it, I thought of like an animation almost. I'll throw that out there and bring it back because I know you gotta get the second book done. <laughs> throw it out to the universe. Hopefully you know <laughs> what comes back. That's great. Thank you. I really did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. I just it came to me right away. Oh, this could be a series, an animated series would be really cute. I think that the fact that you had such positive feedback from the kids, whether you were looking for it or not, is just validation that the book is valuable. It's something that they connected with and something that they will probably reread and reread down the road. And so that to me means that they're going to use this book as a functional tool. And I would say probably the more airtime you get, the more people will know about that and be able to use it. So if there was one encouragement that you would give a child, and this is going to have to be for you, John, when if they discovered that they had dyslexia, what would be the encouragement that you could give them? Do not think you are lesser for having this. You are not You are smart. You are intelligent. You can accomplish anything that you set your mind to. It will not be easy. But if you can overcome the hurdles that you find yourself in front of, 
you will find yourself in a much more positive position than you could ever possibly imagine. Never give up. Never think less of yourself. You're special. Never forget that. That's awesome. And how about for you, Lynn? How about for the parents who find out that their child has dyslexia? What can you encourage them with? The first thing I would definitely say is listen to your gut and listen to your child. Don't listen to the noise out there. Really listen to what your child is telling you. And the school, wherever the school, wherever your your school district is, some schools have great programs, some don't. Sometimes you need a plan. Find out what you need to help advocate for your child. I think it's really important. Don't let people tell you what to do. Really go and advocate for your child. If that means doing a little bit of battle with the teacher, doing some explanation, whatever it is, find the tools, find the resources and do whatever it takes. Because in the end, you really want your child to grow up and feel good about themselves. And this is the place, that's the place to start is at school. So really advocate for your child. Perfect. Perfect. Great advice from both of you. So when they're ready to come get your book, where can they find it easily and how can they contact you? Um, they can, you, anyone can buy the book on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, any of the places you buy books, you can find it. Robbie, the dyslexic taxi and the airport adventure. We also have a website. We are on social media as the creative cab company. They can DM us. TikTok a little, not TikTok, up Twitter a little or X, whatever it's called now. Sorry. <laughs> and that's not my, that that's more John, not my expertise, but we're definitely on all platforms and social media. And we do have a website. We'd love to hear from everybody, anybody. So yeah. And Jonathan, you have your own site too for your art, right? Yes, I have a site called creationairarts.com. It is a bit of a mouthful, but it is C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-A-I-R-E arts, A-R-T-S dot com. That's where I post a bunch of my work. And hopefully, as I am in Chicago doing this graduate program, I will be posting more in the future. I am sure both of you are going to come up with some fabulous things. And Jonathan, I'm sure they're going to teach you so much. You're going to fill that area up um, just with all new art. So it has been just great hearing about your book and getting to know both of you. And I just want to thank you for your time today. Thank you thank so you for much having for having us. us. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been thank really you. wonderful. Thank you. Thank you both.